Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This is an RNZ podcast. Hi, I'm Dan Slevin, sitting in for Simon Morris. This week on At The Movies, 24 years after Pixar changed the world with the first computer-animated feature film, those lovable toy characters are back for an unexpected fourth instalment. Everyone, Bonnie made a friend in class. Oh, she's already making friends. No, no, she literally made a new friend. I want you to meet Forky. Uh, Hi. Hello. Hi. An unexplained phenomenon erases the Beatles from the minds of everyone, except for one lucky musician. Oh, I believe in yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? And a poor Korean family see an opportunity to change their luck. This week, we'll be hearing about a story in which the whole world, except for one person, loses all trace of the music of the Beatles. And yesterday, it's as if they never happened. The film is produced by Universal Pictures, now owned by a company called Comcast, but once a sister company to the Universal Music Group, which used to be known as Decca Records, then MCA, and then Polygram. Universal Music is owned by the French company Vivendi now, but it's still growing. They bought EMI, for example, in 2012. But if it was up to Universal Music, bands like the Beatles might actually disappear from our memories. Actually, not quite like the Beatles, they're a bit of a special case, but bear with me. In 2008, a fire at a storage facility on the Universal Studios' back lot in Hollywood destroyed hundreds of thousands of master recordings. The original tapes that rolled in the studios when artists like Aretha Franklin, Miles Davis, Chuck Berry, Tom Petty, Nirvana and hundreds of other legends were at work, all up in smoke. I was reminded of that tragedy the other day while I watched Ron Howard's excellent documentary about the opera singer Pavarotti. He recorded for Decca, and another universal music company, Polygram, helped produce that film. But how many original recordings by that great artist have been lost forever? Only now are Universal, under threat of a huge class-action lawsuit, owning up to what happened and offering to make some kind of inventory of the art that the human race no longer has any access to. The reason I bring this up isn't just to draw attention to an underreported recent story, but to remind us all that our cultural heritage is being looked after, for the most part, by corporations and executives for whom history just isn't a very big priority. 
Nobody really knows how much was lost in 2008 because Universal's record-keeping, after countless corporate takeovers, was completely inadequate. There wasn't a quid in it, so they paid no attention and hoped they'd never be found out. Forky is the most important toy to Bonnie right now. We all have to make sure nothing happens to him. Woody, we have a situation. I am not a toy. I was made for soup, salad, maybe chili, and then the trash. It's nearly 25 years since the first Toy Story film changed entertainment forever, and nine years since we thought we'd put those characters to sleep with the triumphant finale to the trilogy, Toy Story 3. At the teary conclusion of that film, we'd sent Andy off to college and seen his remaining toys given a new lease of life with toddler Bonnie. A new kid meant a new start and a new purpose, the circle of life in the world of toys. And what more was there left to say? By the completion of three, the Toy Story franchise had proved to the world that Pixar animated pictures could be as profound and emotional as the greatest films of the past. I, for one, thought the trilogy was perfect. But the Pixar hive mind saw there was more to be mined, so here we are. And after five years of work, with several false starts, including an unfortunate scandal involving the original Toy Story director, John Lasseter, that hive mind looked down upon its work and saw that it was good. The film starts not long after the end of number three, that is, after a quick flashback to introduce a possible romantic entanglement between Tom Hanks's Woody and Annie Potts's Bo Peep that's going to be important later on. Imaginative little Bonnie is off to her first day of kindergarten, and she's understandably nervous. Once she gets there, with a little background help from Woody, she uses the art supplies and a used spork to make a toy for herself, who she calls Forky. Now apparently, according to the rules of the Toy Story universe, no matter what you started out as, if you become a toy, you get to come to life, a development which shocks Forky himself as much as it surprises the rest of the toys. In fact, Forky's new identity, his first identity, makes him extremely uncomfortable and he'd rather not be a toy at all. But Bonnie's love for him means that Woody and the gang simply must insist. When Forky, voiced by Tony Hale, makes a run for it while the family are on a road trip, it's up to Woody to get him back before Bonnie's heart breaks. Uh, hey, howdy. Hey there. Uh, Sorry to bother you, but... Why, you're not a bother at all. We were just out for my early morning stroll. And look, (laughs) we met you. My name is Gabby Gabby, and this is my very good friend, Benson. Oh, uh, Woody, pleasure to meet you. Well, it's nice to meet you, Woody. And you are? This is Forky. I'm trash. Our our, our kid made him. Kid? Toys around here don't have kids. Are you two lost? Lost? (laughs) No, no, but we are looking for a lost toy. She's a figurine, used to be in that lamp in the window, name's Bo Peep. Bo Peep? Oh, yes, I know Bo. You do? Hop on in. We'll take you to her. Oh, well, you don't have to do that. (laughs) Well, okay. Benson, be careful with our new friends. The trail takes them to an antique shop ruled over by Gabby Gabby, Christina Hendricks, and her creepy ventriloquist minions. Gabby's voice box was defective when she was made, so she's never had a kid to love. But Sheriff Woody has a perfect working voice box. Just pull his string to find out. A little bit of surgery would make Gabby Gabby perfect. 
Meanwhile, Bo Peep, who coincidentally managed to escape from the antique shop and the tyrannical Gabby, is now a free toy, enjoying the independent life and discovering all her girl power. Can she save Woody's voice box and help him reunite Forky and Bonnie? But does she even want to? You remember the rag doll I told you about? The cowboy? Yep. No way! <laughs> Don't stare. I'm totally staring. Woody, this is Giggle McDimples. <laughs> oh, hi, Giggle. Whoa, you didn't tell me he was a cop! Howdy, Sheriff. Officer Giggle McDimples. I run Pet Patrol for Minneapolis. Yeah, search and rescue. Officer McDimples isn't the only new character to be introduced in this film. TV comedians Jordan Peele and Keegan-Michael Key steal almost every scene they're in as carnival prize plushies desperate for a home. But even they can't compare with an actor who is having quite the moment in 2019. Keanu Reeves, who everyone seems to acknowledge is the nicest person in the business and who is doing some of the finest work of his career. Reeves plays Canadian motorcycle stuntman Duke Kaboom, a kind of cut-rate evil Knievel. I remember how useless those Knievel toys were in real life from my own childhood, and Kaboom's confidence, never that strong to begin with, is down in the dumps. But when the team need his dead devilry to cross an impossible chasm, can he save the day? Yes, he Canada. New from Maple Leaf Toys. He's a Canuck with all the luck. Now you can bring home Duke Kaboom. Who's the most spectacular daredevil Canada has ever seen? Are you kidding? It's a commercial. It's not real. I can't jump that far. Like so many of the best Pixar films, Toy Story 4 is not a kid's film at all. I mean, it is, obviously, but even saying it is not just a kid's movie isn't quite getting it right. These are films for adults. While the extremely well-thought-out fan theory that Toy Story 3 was actually an allegory for the Holocaust might still be a bit of a stretch, we don't have to stray too far from home to find utterly relatable, almost universal adult concerns. Toy Story 3 was about parenting and having to let your child go out into the world, even though that kid has needed your love and protection for their entire lives. Toy Story 4 is sort of about retirement and finding a life purpose when your work has been done. These characters have lived full and exciting lives for the benefit of their kids, as well as us watching. Why shouldn't they hit the road for a while and find themselves? And then, of course, there's Forky himself, one of the most interesting characters ever animated and one who confronts the big existential questions every day and who is as terrified of the answers as the rest of us. Why am I alive? You're Bonnie's toy. You are going to help create happy memories that will last for the rest of her life. Uh Huh? What? Oh, No film this year has made me happier than Toy Story 4. When you and your companion are still discussing the long and fascinating character development of Buzz Lightyear the following day, you know you've got your money's worth. It's rated G and should be playing everywhere. Oh, I believe in yesterday. When did you write that? I didn't write it. Paul McCartney wrote it. The Beatles. Who? John, Paul, George and Ringo, the Beatles. Which Beatles? Is this the insect Beatles or the car Beatles? The pop group Beatles. Nick, help me out here. (laughs) Right, yes. Um, There's this problem with musicians. They presume everyone else has this encyclopedic knowledge of obscure pop, in this case, 
The Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this is the most complicated joke I've ever heard. It's a very nice song. It's not song. a very nice song, Nick. It's one of the greatest songs ever written. Well, it's not Coldplay. It's not Fix You. It's not bloody Fix You, Carol. It's a great, great work of art. Somebody suddenly got very cocky. Imagine, if you can, a world where there was no British rom-coms. That means no The Tall Guy, Four Weddings and a Funeral, no Notting Hill or Love Actually, no About Time, although, to be fair, I think the world has forgotten about that one already anyway. Imagine, then, that you wake up one morning and you are the only one who can remember all those benign but insanely popular romantic comedies. Wouldn't you just want to bust one out featuring all the beautiful clichés of the genre? The socially awkward floppy-haired hero? The shy young woman who loves him but he can't see it? The really annoying best friend who just causes affable embarrassment everywhere he goes? The sudden realisation and the mad rush to stop her getting on that plane, or train, or whatever, before it's too late. And, of course, the achingly overwritten confession of love, possibly in front of an audience. And this is what Richard Curtis has done to himself with Yesterday. It's the 90s British romantic comedy for the people who have never seen one before. And I think... It's a deliberate artistic choice that reinforces the theme of the movie. What's the word? Meta. And if it isn't a clever metaphorical device, then it's a bit bloody cheeky, if you ask me. It's the present day. Struggling singer-songwriter Jack Malik, played by Himesh Patel, is knocked off his bike by a bus during a mysterious global blackout and wakes up in hospital, visited by his manager-stroke roadie, Ellie, Lily James. What happened? No one knows. It was all over the world. Electricity flicked off for 12 seconds. You were just unlucky that at that exact moment a big bus hit you. <laughs> right. I've got to get back to school. Al. Yeah? Thanks for taking such good care of me. You're welcome. I'll come back later. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? <laughs> I don't know. I'll think about it. Why 64? What do you mean, why 64? It's just... Oh, forget it. <laughs> While that reference to the Beatles' When I'm 64 might well fall flat for a lot of people Ellie's age, the fact that none of his friends recognised the classic ballad yesterday awakens Jack to the idea that the world may not be quite as he remembers it. A quick Google reveals that the Beatles never formed, the Fab Four never got famous, and ten years of legendary songwriting didn't happen. Jack sees a chance to adopt some of these now-orphaned songs and maybe kick-start his own stumbling career. Which they do, eventually taking him all the way to LA and a very 90s version of the music business. It's Terry! Terry! Hey. Hey. Jack's just playing us a new song. Oh, what's this one called? Uh, leave It Be. Let It Be. Oh, excellent. Well, rock on, Jack! When I find myself in times of trouble... Would you like a drink, Terry? Dad. Well, I'd already heard that bit. Yeah, I'll get a beer, please, Jake. Excellent. Carry on, Jacko. I'll be back. Hurry it up, darling. You're losing the crowd. <laughs> when I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes... Hello, love. I'm just at uh, Jed and Sheila's house listening to Jack's new song, Let Him Be. Let It Be. Let It Be. Listen, I'll, I'll, I'll call you back when it's over, all right? 
Uh, carry on broadcasting, young man. Maybe start after the first bit. I've heard it three times. Christ, this is Let It Be! You're the first people on Earth to hear this song! Oh, that'll be Marge. Oh, oh she said oh, she was going to come oh, round to us. Oh, yeah. Wow, well, that went well. There are so many problems with how this film has turned out, but I have to grudgingly say that any film I'm still puzzled by this many days later has to have something going for it. What it doesn't have, sadly, is much chemistry between the two lead actors. In fact, Himesh Patel, despite doing a terrific job of being a relatively ordinary bloke in an extraordinary situation, doesn't have much chemistry with the music either. But I think that's also Curtis's point, that these songs, all of them, even Obla D, Obla Da, are so good that they will transcend the average performances by someone who has no emotional connection to the material, and they'll still storm the world. And I don't think there's any guarantee that that's true. They are wonderful songs, yes, but they carry that weight because of the context in which they arrived in our lives. What was going on in the world at the time, the cultural moment. Isn't that what transformed them from great to immortal? And if anyone can be successful singing them, and as they arrived, fully formed in his lap like a gift from God, what does that say about the sheer hard work that went into writing, arranging and performing them originally? The collaboration, the competition with the other bands at the time, that artistic compulsion to say something that spurred these songs into being. Yesterday is a simple idea that opens up a bunch of really interesting questions that the film itself has no interest whatsoever in answering. I'm especially disappointed in director Danny Boyle, who once upon a time made vibrant, passionate, articulate and thrilling films, but here has just given in to Richard Curtis's nostalgia. You've had 20 years to make your move. What can exactly make my move when I was seven? Then you've had 10 years. Exactly right, but... No, so... I have been waiting half my life for you to wake up and love me. Having loved you for half a lifetime, I realised when you left that I had made a bad choice doing that. And now it's got even trickier because... If <laughs> you were playing in pubs, we were the perfect match, but now... I'm an actual school teacher in actual Lowestoft, and you're the world's greatest singer-songwriter. No, I'm not. Except I'm... that you probably are. A key figure in all of this is the pop star Ed Sheeran, who plays an enormously successful pop star called Ed Sheeran. But weirdly, it's the character of Jack that most closely resembles the real Sheeran. In fact, whole chunks of Sheeran's life have been purloined by Curtis for this central character. His Suffolk background, his discovery online his early supporting act opportunities and the fact that he's married a friend from school with the romance between them blooming relatively late. Then there are the accusations of plagiarism that have dogged him. There's not much of Sheeran's real life that Curtis hasn't grabbed. And with permission, obviously, as the real Ed Sheeran seems to be a fairly amiable character, despite the fact that he's not that well treated by the story. About the song, the, the title, Hey Jude. Jude is just... It's a bit old-fashioned. That was the kid's name, right? What kid? That the song's about. Oh, the kid, the kid, the kid yes, the, the, the sad kid. Now, let me just give you this advice, right? Song title. I won't charge you a penny for it as well. Hey, dude. 
Hey, dude. Hey, dude. Are you sure? He's right. That's, that's so much better. Is he? Is it? Yesterday is rated M for offensive language, sexual references, and drug references, and it's also on wide release across the country now. And finally, to South Korea, where one of the finest filmmakers working today plies his idiosyncratic trade. Bong Joon-ho has made another fascinating treatise on class, inequality, and a modern economy that sees 99% of its participants as disposable fodder for the mass consumption machine. His new film, Parasite, won the Palm d'Or this year, the first Korean film to achieve that distinction. And it has been rushed into cinemas on the crest of that wave, and you should really do your utmost to see it with an audience. Director Bong really is at the height of his powers. The Kim family live in a basement with one job between four people, folding pizza boxes badly as it turns out. The son gets an opportunity to teach English to the children of a wealthy businessman, and the family slowly and intricately weaves itself into the lives of the blissfully oblivious Parks. Firstly, he gets his sister a job as an art therapist for the children. Then his father becomes the family chauffeur, and his mother manages to replace the housekeeper. All should be golden at this point, but the Kims can't help but push their luck a little too far, and the whole house of cards comes crashing down in shocking and surprising ways. Director Bong, as he has throughout his career, manages to delicately balance the extremes of genre filmmaking, in this case the home invasion thriller, with social satire and some broad comedy. The other star of this film is the stunning house that the parks live in. Starkly modern, but open and light, the architecture is used superbly by director Bong to create tension and supports what we critics like to call his inventive mise-en-scene. One of the great paradoxes of Parasite is that the underdog family, who we should be rooting for, are boorish chumps, and the wealthy family that spend their lives so insulated from the troubles of ordinary people actually display some great taste. I'd live in their house in a heartbeat. Ah, it's done. Why don't you put it on the phone? Hey, IP time. In a strong week for films that want to be about something, Parasite is superb, and it's a perfect warm-up for the International Film Festival. With Toy Story and Yesterday taking up lots of screens, you'll need to seek it out, but it's worth it. Parasite is rated R13 for violence, offensive language and sex scenes, and if you've ever seen a Bong Joon-ho film before, you'll know that you have some surprises in store. And that's our programme for this week. I could have ended the show with another Beatles tune from yesterday, but I rather think we've heard enough, and frankly, they were a bit lacklustre as covers go. So instead, we'll recognise the indelible connection between Pixar films and the great Randy Newman, who at the age of 75 has written a lovely new score for Toy Story 4, and two new songs. Here's his ode to Forky, I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away. I can't let you. 
I'm Dan Slevin, and you can find me on Twitter as at Dan Slevin, that's all one word, and there's more of me at rnz.co.nz forward slash widescreen. On our next program, I'll be chatting to Kiwi cinema icon Ant Timpson about 25 years of the incredibly strange film festival and his debut in the director's chair, the black comedy thriller Come to Daddy, which has its New Zealand premiere in the International Film Festival this month. So why not join me for more at the movies at the same time next week? Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.